Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. We got week number two in a row with the usual suspects. Anthony Slater out west, Fred Katz out east. Gentlemen, what is going on on this fine Monday morning? Covered a basketball game this weekend. Felt weird. I know. I know. I watched. I haven't done one live yet. I've seen basketball players. I was in Fort Collins, Colorado for Sixers training camp. We'll get into that in a little bit, but it, it is that time of year. Uh, here's the breakdown on this week's show. We got another good one. Uh, I'm in a, a little bit of a musical state of mind, gentlemen, because I went to a concert over the weekend, uh, a little hard rock with my young fella. Um, so I will frame this pod as such. We're going to do a, a couple of the hits, so to speak, because we got to do updates on James Harden Sixers. And then we're going to get to Slater's Warriors with Chris Paul's debut reactions, reflections, observations, things of that nature. But Mr. Katz, in true fine form, uh, is always good highlighting the stuff that we are missing out on that we're not talking about. The hits are good for what they are, but the indie rock stuff, so to speak, is, has got to be on the album as well. Fred, you like that? I'm trying, buddy. That was that. <laughs> oh, man. He thought about uh, that like before, the like show. five seconds ago. Yeah, uh, but no, Fred. Fred wants to get in, and you know, not in the weeds, but a little off the hits. So we'll get there. Um, but let me start, guys. And Fred, say hello because I feel like I didn't even say good morning to you. You good, buddy? I'm I'm wonderful. Actually, the indie rock line worked out perfectly because I wanted to do storylines in the NBA that we're not talking about enough. And right there is my indie? number one and my bullet point. I have the Indiana Pacers with a big exclamation point. It's almost like we coordinated, so, but we didn't. I know. So it worked out perfectly. It's fate. It's fate it's that fate. we have to talk about the Pacers on this it's podcast. Tampering vibes and chemistry. That's what it is. All right. Um, so no, no, but like substantive big time material movement on the James Harden Sixer situation in terms of a trade happening. What Sham Sharania and I did report late last week that came after a few days of me being in Fort Collins was that the Clippers are, you know, had kind of ramped up their efforts to improve their offer to the Sixers to get James their way, uh, trying to compiled more draft assets that, you know, the Sixers ultimately would like to get a, a trade that in their opinion meets the threshold for an all-star level player and don't feel like it's anywhere near there at this point. Um, you know, that's the transactional side of things, but man, the human side of things that I got a front row seat to, uh, as far as James and his state of mind, how he's choosing to move within the organization. He chooses to go to camp, misses media day, misses, um, you know, the early stuff. And then he's there. Um, and, you know, first couple of days didn't do any live action, but seemed like the spirit was good. Um, but he is, you know, as unhappy as ever when it comes to the state of, of, you know, where he works these days. He wants to be on the Clippers. He's still irate at how this situation was handled. And like Shams and I wrote, you know, for now, there's a calculated effort and a choice to 
get out there and not be a distraction um, as a way to help him get where he wants to go. We'll see if it works. Um, but man, it's one of the more unique situations I've covered because it's not explosive like a Jimmy Butler, Minnesota situation. At this point, there have been explosive moments. We know about James, what he said in China about Daryl Morey. Um, but, but it's so interesting to see the, the leverage element here and the power and the influence where you talk about, you know, the Clippers bidding against themselves, which conceivably, you know, they could just put their, dig their heels in and, and never move, but they might probably wouldn't get their guy because Daryl Morey is as stubborn as anybody in the league. And he's just not trading him until he likes the deal in front of him. It doesn't matter if he's talking to just one team. Um, I think the Sixers feel like James getting out on the court and showing that he's in a very good place basketball wise is the quickest way for him to get traded. Sam, let's yes, I mean, I kind of want to stop you there just to diatribe ended ping, this ping questions at you, but, uh, Tell me how he, I mean, he sound, looked from the outside looking in. He's in shape. Um, yeah, for sure. He's Very good shape. at least handling the player to player relationship stuff. Well, is it, do you feel iciness? I mean, you know, the situation going in, but do you feel iciness like around the building or not really? And like, what was Fort Collins like? James is an interesting dude. And I'm, I'm answering your question because it's funny, you know, he was extremely, I thought about this when I was out there, he was extremely close to Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe, and um, had the same agent as Kobe. And, and Kobe actually kind of ushered that relationship in when Rob Palenka was an agent. So all of which is to say, like, I keep thinking about the way Kobe handled his dissatisfaction at different times, which was, you know, no bones about it. You knew he was pissed. He told the world. He told Stephen A. He told radio shows, get me out of L.A. Um, James is, you know, I didn't cover the Kobe situation up close, but it, I think it's safe to say James is a similar level of unhappy, but he's just a different personality where he doesn't, he doesn't share everything. He doesn't act out necessarily in, in those kinds of ways. Now we've seen obviously with Houston, you know, showing up late partying when the team was in camp, he has his own ways. This is different. He's in shape. Is it icy? hundred percent. I mean, with his teammates, no, uh, I talked to Danny green about it. Danny actually, lauded James with praise for his professionalism talked about James talked about PJ Tucker, Pat Beverly, and the way that they had, you know, helped with the on-court mood in the early days of camp. Now, James and Daryl still as sideways as ever. And I think it extends beyond that. I think frustration at Josh Harris. And then the longer this situation goes on. Yeah. I think, I mean, if you look at big fella, Joel and B's got a lot of juice in that organization. And to this point, it seems like he is taking a Switzerland approach to this conflict. And, you know, I don't know how that sits with James, but he is, we, we don't truly know because, um, you know, not surprisingly, certainly I've tried to get his perspective, try to convince him to talk when I was out there, thought he might for a moment that didn't ultimately happen. He's not coming out and telling everybody exactly where he's at. How he's, long can he not talk to reporters? Uh, I mean, in terms of rules, that's a good question. And shoot, as a you know, official on the PBWA, I should probably call the NBA soon and, and get some sense of it. But, you know, it's the rules in camp are, you know, they're a little malleable where, you know, um, I mean, Embiid's talked twice uh, so far. Um, I didn't track James's media stuff. I mean, he didn't play in Boston in the preseason opener and Joel didn't either. Um, so obviously he didn't talk there, um, but we're getting close to where 
you know, it would be an issue that he's yeah, not talking. Yeah, if he talking. plays a game. Do you think he's yeah. going to play a game, by the way? I like do. I'm, I'm handicapping it. Yeah, I think I think he's – I think the progress on the Clippers front, and, and by progress to define it, it's the idea that um, that the Clippers are doing things that ultimately, you know, could uh, – talking to other teams that could improve the offer and get James where he wants to go. Uh, for now, I think the calculus is that if he sits, if he just pouts and, and he disappears, then the Clippers might retreat a little bit. I think that's a concern. Um, so for now, I think, uh, you know, I think it is going that direction. Now, the, the next thing is if the Clippers land some of these draft assets, they come the, the Sixers way with that new offer. I'm here to tell you for sure, like there's absolutely a chance that after all that work, they get the offer a little bit better. Daryl might look at that new offer and say, this, this isn't it either. Like, that's it. And if that happens, then it's a major question of what does James do next? Um, but for now, I think this is the way he's proceeding. Sam, what do we think is the offer? Like, what what is what is Daryl Morey waiting for here? Does he want everything the Clippers can offer? Terrence Mann, those two unprotected firsts. Do you see a world where it ends up being like, one protect or, or one unprotected first and Terrence Mann or the two unprotected first, but no consequential rotation players in there. The Clippers have a lot of middling salaries. They can get to Harden's salary. Like what, what do you see as, as like the thing that Maury is going to hold out for? I mean, to me, once you start getting into three first, then, then you got, you know, then you're kind of cooking with grease, if you will. Um, yeah, the Clippers un- can unprotect- only trade two though. Well, that that's where the man thing comes into play is man being important because, you know, he could be flipped for a first and, and that would be attractive and, and of interest to the Sixers. Uh, the current offer, and this is Shabs reporting unprotected first pick swap and salaries uh, that that was offered back in July. And since then it's been, you know, essentially that, that ask on the part of the Sixers, like just, that's not it. Go get more. Um, and then the, again, the picks, you know, there's been some speculation about, well, what are the Sixers doing? Are they trying to rebuild? Why do they want picks? No, Daryl, do you think Daryl would just immediately want it as a three way? Like, you know, maybe that would be part of the, you know, looping another team in. I could, I mean, I think I could see it either way. I could see him doing the work on man. Um, you know, uh, and, and I, I assume he already knows that. I mean, that's probably the type of deal where he's already got that lined up if, if it needs to be there. Um, but you know, the the mystery, if you will, too, that I don't have the answer to is what's the next move? Because, you know, um, taking all that draft capital and turning it into a player who my feeling and, and you know, informed speculation, if you will, is that that player, whoever they have their eyes on, is not as good as James Harden. Like, say what you will about James. We are. It's funny, Fred. We're going to get into storylines that we shouldn't ignore, like. I do admittedly feel like we ignore the fact that James Harden led the league in assists last season, that he played a massive part in Joel Embiid being MVP of the league with the way he deferred, the way he changed his game. He had a pretty damn good year. He had some Remember, he also had, I know he had a few bad games in that Celtics series, including I think oh, game he had seven. Some great games. But he, yeah, he like won two, I think two of the games in Boston, like the biggest right. win. And that's where Daryl is looking at it like, you got to be kidding me. This dude, like once you get him happy on this new Clippers team, you're going to have a hell of a ball player. And you know, and and the Sixers are trying, and Daryl with with all his might to not let go of the rope of title contention. You know, and and that's where this transaction is so massive, um, and that's where the question of if James is going to play, 
you know, it's, it, that's where it's so interesting to analyze, right? Because if, if you think playing is what gets you to the next team, then, then James chooses to get out there. But then the irony is then once he gets out there, then the Sixers are title contenders again, depending on how he plays and how it looks. Um, so, th- I mean, that's what they don't want to fall out of that window. Uh, and I'm very curious to see down the line, let's assume he gets to the Clippers eventually, you know, what are the Sixers doing there? Who are they targeting? And, and who is this player that with all that draft capital, they want to try to flip to to remain title contenders and get? Yeah, I mean, my, like, dudes, do you think Daryl still believes in a world that James is content and happy come January, February and, and playing for the Sixers? Like, and not. No, still... I it, do I think he's hopeful that like, like from a, we all know Daryl's reputation and, and well-earned in terms of being, you know, a pretty cold and calculating, you know, analyst uh, that, that has been accused for a very long time of the often, stripping the the kind of human component out of it. So do I think he looks at it and says that James has no other choice? And so maybe the world does exist when he's still balling out in January. I, yes. I think Daryl could see it that way, but the Sixers, you know, I'm sorry, James's message from his side, 100% is like, no, this, this is never turning back. Uh, you know, what James said in China is not changed whatsoever. This is all just part of the process to get to where he wants to go. Um, but the animosity, the the frustration, the bad blood, it's all still there. They're just this, having to. This just has to be challenging for Nick Nurse. Like, sure. you know, James is such a unique piece that like you either, you know, you build your offense around him or if he's not there, it's like a completely, you know, different ecosystem. And he's trying to implement, you know, Nick Nurse stuff. And I mean, I don't know. You were there. Listen, like, is he is is he implementing it? Like, yeah, or you know, our core is James Harden and Joel Embiid, or is it like, ah, no. he's <laughs> you're right. His job is so interesting right now. He's implementing a a bunch of movement stuff on the offensive end, a, a bunch of you know, really anti James Harden stuff, and, and really anti Joel Embiid stuff for what he typically loves. Just you know, let me just get down to the block and go to work, um, or give me that rock and let me do it. And Nick is trying to put his system in and you talk about a challenging star duo to manage. You've got the James situation where, you know, Nick is, is being asked obviously every single day that he talks about how did James look? Where's that situation at the Embiid stuff. And and I know we got to get off the Sixers at some point. I don't want to get too in the weeds, but guys, <laughs> the, the Sixers go to Colorado. And my main question that I wrote about a few days ago, was why the hell are they in Colorado? Didn't make any sense to me. It's Colorado State University is is where, uh, you know, it's that's in Fort Collins. So I talked to Nick just very directly, like, why are you guys here? And ultimately find out from him and other people that it's basically threefold. For one, the cliche but true reason of team bonding, get them away from Philly. There's value to that. Cool. Great. Sounds good. Um, secondly, altitude, want to push them. Um and to train in the altitude, 5,000 feet above sea level. Okay, that has more nuance. Joel Embiid hasn't played in Denver since 2019. This is something that Nick Nurse is well aware of. It's something that Joel has taken a lot of criticism for because the perception is that for one reason or another, you know, the the accusation, I guess, you've been quote-unquote ducking Nikola Jokic. And so the idea that Nick Nurse picked Colorado uh, right out the gate for me was like, man, this is like, 
this is some Ted Lasso type stuff almost like you're just trying to, you know, kind of troll potentially. That's probably a little strong, but anyway, the altitude is part of it. And then, um, he, well, I guess I gave the third reason already is, is the Jokic factor and the nuggets. And he flat out said like this, the title goes through Colorado and that's the message he wants to send to his guys. So, you know, Nick comes in with this mentality of we want to win a championship and I'm going to do these unorthodox things by taking camp to Colorado with that idea in mind. But, you know, you got a, a, a sticky situation with James to navigate through all that. You got Joel, who, by the way, they, they go to dinner with Deion Sanders in, in, uh, in Boulder. And I'm sure you guys saw the video. You got Deion Sanders, Colorado Buffalo's men's football, football coach, telling Joel and telling the whole room that, you know, in today's NBA, you got too many players who are trying to duck the smoke and, and not playing in the big games. And, and I'm just looking at all this going, man, like, you know, standing ovation, Nick Nurse, because you got the, the you know, the no other way of saying it, kind of the balls to start taking Joel on head on. Like, Joel, this is what I need. I'm trying to motivate you, trying to push you with all these different coaching tactics, you know, and then figure out, is James Harden here? Is he not? So, yeah, Nick's got his hands full for sure. Well, what else does Nick Nurse love to do? Loves to play his starters a gazillion minutes. Go look at the minutes leaders last year and see yeah. all Raptors at the top of minutes per game. It's 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 a great point by Slater on like Nick Nurse having to put together that sort of offense. And on one side, it's a James Harden offense, which needs James Harden type actions that only James Harden can run. And on the other side, it's a completely different type of offense that he's going to have to scheme for. It's, it's it's a great point. It's totally different. The problem is that Nikola Jokic is probably doing training camp like on a horse in the Himalayas or something. So he's just a no, step he got, He's in San Diego, Fred. He's in a coastal state of mind, you know? Man, that's where I, if I was an NBA player, that's where I'd want my training camp. Now it is, uh, we'll keep him moving here, but the Joel stuff has been a trip. Like Fred, he, you know, he, <laughs> Nick, Nick is excited about coaching. Joel. Um, but you see all these different ways he's pushing them. Like he he's publicly called for him to to be much more aggressive defensively and specifically. And this is an interesting question just for the basketball community, as we all talk about. I mean, blocks are wild, you know, considered to be wildly overrated. But you know, Nick is Nick is telling Joel, just go out there and and, and do your best matumbo. Like, I want to see you swinging it. He literally the other day somewhat jokingly, you know, said, I, I want more risky, more reckless. That's what I want out of Joel defensively um so he's pushing them on that end he's he wants more alley-oop actions on the offensive end and he's talked to joel about that like just more lobs and you can see joel you know i'm dying to see where their relationship is at two or three months from now because you, you right now i feel like joel is in kind of just taking it all in mode um you know so does this propel him to another you know individual best season or you know is it something different but you know they've got a whole thing going on right now all right, let's keep it moving, guys. Uh, that's the Sixers update. We'll see what happens there. Um, we, uh, we're we going to have a big Warriors segment on the end. Slater's going to talk Chris Paul, Clay Thompson, all the above. But, Fred, uh, let, let's broaden the scope a little bit. Let's talk about the non-headline, non-superstar sagas that, uh, that we should be talking more about. What direction are we going in here, buddy? Yeah, I mean, the first one I have on the list is I feel like we're about to see something from the Indiana Pacers this year. They they had a really nice offseason and their pieces fit really well together. They were they were good when Tyrese Halliburton played last year. Like that was a team that was in the mix for the play in. 
close to rising above it. Uh, then Halliburton gets hurt. They fall off. They fall to the bottom of the standings and they kind of, you know, wallow in kind of forgettableness for the rest of the season. They bring in Obi Toppin. They bring in Bruce Brown, who I think is going to fit wonderfully. And now all of a sudden they have this offense that is going to flow. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening with the Buddy Heald situation. But that offense is going to flow. Halliburton's only getting better. That dude is going to be a perennial all-star. You've got Miles Turner, who is coming off the best year of his career, by the way. We've had Miles Turner on the on the trade block for the last 47 years, but he's still only in like his mid-20s. And he literally had his best season ever last year. Remains one of the league's best rim protectors. And he's going to stretch the floor to where you have to guard him with the three-point arc. And now you've got your offense with all of these cutters coached by Rick Carlisle, who implements a motion offense like few other coaches in existence. And you're going to have Bruce Brown on short rolls facilitating. You're going to have Obi Topping cutting from the corner. They're going to be really dangerous in transition, I think, with Toppin and Halliburton. Uh, they they have a lot. There's young talent there. Like that team, that team, if, if I have to pick one team to make a leap from out of the playoffs to into it, that that's the one that I'm choosing. You, you I think that could be really six? fun to watch. Calling top six type playoff. Uh, I have to run through it. I I might have them at six or seven. You know what? Screw it. I'm gonna put them at. There six. we go. There we <laughs> go. I could, I could feel Slater pushing. He's trying every week now. Yeah, we're yeah, gonna yeah. get Fred to get aggregated. Well, he on comes our own on. Show. He comes on and he's ready to hype. And I'm, I'm like, how hype are we him, going? You know? Let's put him at six. You know, he did the same thing to me with the Cavs last year, and I was dead on. So let's let's yeah, uh, look at that flex. Let's put them. Let's put them at six. I, I think this is just Fred's continued efforts, and and you know, and uh, impressively so to just make sure that it's not just a Buck Celtics Eastern Conference conversation. I like this name Fred. an Eastern it Conference team you like the Pacers more than, which would surprise people. Atlanta. Mm, yeah. Knicks. <laughs> no, I think the Knicks are in that four or five range. I think Slater the Pacers are like now. six. I mean, I think I'm the Pacers just, you know, are six. Trying to create I, content, I, I really yeah. would have them at six, not just because Slater was pushing them. I mean, I think they're better than Atlanta. Uh, they're for sure better than Brooklyn. They're better than Toronto. They're better than Washington. I think they're better than Miami. Is that going to shock that, that, the world? I mean, Miami won That's the good East one. last year. So That's a good That's, one. Yeah. I feel like So I say I, I'll have Miami. Jimmy even more emo after this take. I'm. I'm worried. I'm just worried about Miami. Like, look, you should I'm be. probably, I'm probably going to be wrong, but Max Struess and Gabe Vincent were really important for them. Yeah. They're not there and, anymore. And, right. Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and look that team last year, it's not like that team was phenomenal the whole season. They still have the seventh best record in the East, by the way, I feel conflicted about calling them the second to eight seed to go to the finals because they really had the seventh best record in the East, but they lost the play-in game. So they were the eight seed, but they really are like a seven seed that made it to the finals. So I'm, I'm a little conflicted. Which, by the way, how many, of, how many seven seeds over time have made the finals? Not, not, none, which is fine, but I'm just conflicted about calling them an eight seed in this, in this, in this, in this day of the play-in tournament. But I think Indiana, I mean, do you, what what say you guys on Indiana? I, I, I think they are they have the chance to be the most fun team in the league to watch. Uh I, I, I think that team that team could be good. I'm curious um what you guys think of because this is so important to who the Pacers can become. The Tyrese Halliburton arc uh I think is worth diving into a little bit. And this is a strange parallel and and 
admittedly it's because I watched the Niners Cowboys game last night, but Brock Purdy in the NFL space is a, this guy who has become a, a star very quickly, um, shocked a lot of people. You know, there's a parallel where I think about a guy like Tyrese. So when Brock has a great debut season, a lot of folks in the media start essentially saying there's no way he can do that again, which, you know, the argument among his supporters was, uh, you know, in what world when it comes to athletes, are we predicting that, oh, they were this good last year, right at the beginning of their pro career, and they're, they're going to get worse. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Do you feel that way about Tyrese? Because that was a pretty special um, season that right, he had he last year. He just wanted to get a Brock Purdy, like, you know, hate, you know <laughs> screw the haters in. He needed That's to get right. that taken. My Niners rolling. I, but, I, would, I actually went to that game last night. It was, did you? Uh, wow. It was a, uh, a stomping. Was it, it was like a 40, stomping. 45-10 or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to see, you know, Halliburton, what did he play, 56 games last year, I think I saw. you know, mm-hmm. And they certainly fell off when he was out. Yeah. And he's got to stay, you know, he's got to have a long, healthy season. Um, I do like that their coach is Rick Carlisle because we like it isn't – a situation where the coach is like kind of lean developing. I mean, we kind of know Rick Carlisle, right? He's going to chase after every win. Um, there's a lot of youth throughout the rotation. You know, Jairus Walker, who played good in their preseason uh, opener yesterday. Um, he, you know, he, he needs to get minutes. I'm curious uh, Fred's thoughts about Obi Toppin. Like, is that, you know, if, I mean, you covered him, do you think he's going to like really pop for them? I mean, you start to get a fuller rotation if guys like that really show up, but I still feel like a, a, the meat of their rotation is a little bit young, unknown. Benedict Mather, and I know he had like a nice start breakout of his rookie year, but he kind of faded. Like, what is he at this point? He's still kind of inefficient, uh, doesn't pass much. I, you know, six seems a little bold. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I wouldn't like pick. I don't think they're better than Miami personally. Yeah, I, I just feel like their personnel actually fits together really well. You look at a lot of these young teams that are rising up a little bit and and often the personnel doesn't fit perfectly because what you want to do when you're just building a team is you want to bring in the talent and then you figure out the rest later you don't want to pass on someone who potentially is awesome and because you have another shooting guard and so these young teams that are trying to come up often look like the magic or something who are who are talented but you know could could play an eight-man lineup of just power forwards and centers if they wanted to and justify it even though they'd be breaking the rules so what I think is partly interesting about the Pacers is how well their team fits. You asked me about Obi Toppin. I think he's a really good fit there. He's going to be really good in a movement offense with Rick Carlisle. He's a really good cutter. He's, he's he, you know, the way the Knicks used him was not, it, it was not complimentary of his skill set. He, he wasn't really running. He wasn't really setting screens, diving to the rim. He was mostly a standstill in the corner guy on offense. More than half of his shot attempts were three pointers. And he's, he's, he can hit them, but he's not a three point shooter. That's not the strength of his game. You want him screening and rolling and out in transition and using his athleticism. And the Knicks just couldn't find ways to optimize that. I think the Pacers will. I think they're going to have really good ball and player movement because you look at those guys, like you mentioned, Matherin, who is, I mean, I think I have more turnovers than, than assists as a rookie. But he is explosive and he's moving and he's really good in transition. Like TJ, that bench unit, like if Matherin is playing with that bench unit again, TJ McConnell is going to get steals and Matherin's going to get out running. Like I think the personnel 
fits each other really well, especially in that starting lineup. And Halliburton is the perfect point guard for those guys because he's a facilitator first and foremost. He's really good at finding cutters, really good at finding three-point shooters. He's hyper-efficient. I mean, he has a chance to be 50-40-90. He was damn close last year on a high volume and average 20 and 10. I'm... I think he's I mean, he's 22 years old. He's going to keep getting better. I I I and he I got that team, team USA is, boost is good. that might have helped him. I know the team obviously didn't do what they wanted to do. Um but you know, he had some good moments with the national team. Yeah. I I think this team's good. I think they're legit good and right. and I think they're going to win 40 something games. Well, 40, we'll, we'll like roll the I'll, I'll take the under and we'll track it all year. For, I was going to say I'm probably on on I'm going teams later. 40. Teams later. I mean, I think fighting for the play on is where they're going to be. So we'll roll the tape back in in April. And see how it looked. See if this is one of Fred's many uh, I, I told you so takes. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, but we've gone from the hits to indie rock. Uh, Fred, you're you're driving this part of the pod. Where are we going next uh, when we get back from this break? We are going to be going to the New York Knicks. And Naturally. that's the teaser. That's not the topic. Okay, fair enough. We'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for staying with us. Fred, you're your your bailiwick, man. Your 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 number one topic. What do you got? Knicks, what are we doing here? All right. I'm fascinated by the Emmanuel Quickly extension situation. With all these guys extending now, like Peyton Pritchard just got 10 million a year. Devin Vassell just got 30 some odd million a year. These are all his draft class. And the quickly situation lingers. He finished second in six man of the year voting last year. He is eligible right now for an extension going into his fourth season, the same one that, you know, all the young rookies end up signing. And he's eligible for that extension until October 23rd, two weeks from today, the day that we're recording this. He's so important to the Knicks, but how the Knicks handle this is going to say so much about their future because that's a team that's sitting and waiting to hunt a star. And what happens if you extend off a rookie scale contract, the extension doesn't actually kick in until next year. And because of all these quirks in the CBA and, and these trade rules and salary matching rules and all the complicated stuff that nobody needs to get into, it becomes really complicated to trade a guy who you've extended in that year between the extension kicking in and being on his rookie scale contract. So quickly we're to sign an extension. Now it'd be really difficult to salary match him over the next year. If the Knicks wanted to trade him, if a star rose up, but it might be easier to trade him come July 1st, when that new big number comes in, guess what? All Fred, of a sudden, to give you a nice uh, comparison point, this was the exact way the Jordan Poole situation was being talked about last year at this time where it w- signing with the extension, as you said, was going to make it harder for him, them to trade him, you know, during the year, but that big number would kick in and would make him easier. If, you know, God forbid they would ever want to trade Jordan Poole come the next summer. And then being, they do, they obviously flip him for Chris Paul. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's, and it does signal some stuff. Um, what what's the, what type of price range are we talking? Do you think though for quickly? Well, so I did a I did a poll of fifteen or sixteen different front office executives earlier in the summer to try to get a deal of his market, and and most people said between sixteen and twenty million a year. There's a new rule now that says that you can extend guys for five years, up to five years off their rookie scale deals. So maybe it ends up being in that five for one hundred range. But like you look at the Devin Vassell number. And I, I like Devin Vassell. He's really good. But I'm wondering how that affects the market. Because if I'm a manual quickly, and I just finished second in six man of the year voting, I'm getting up there and being like, okay, well, I want 25 a year. You know, I got to have something in that range close to that. If Peyton Pritchard, who was out of the Celtics rotation uh, for a lot of last year and played 14 minutes a game, if if he's getting eight figures annually in an extension, like, then shouldn't the dude who was six man who was six man of the year runner up, shouldn't he be getting significantly more than that? I don't think the Knicks are going to pay an exorbitant amount for him. 
Like, for example, they're paying Jalen Brunson four for 104. That's his contract. The Julius Randle contract was four for 106, 117 if you include other incentives. Um, you know, RJ Barrett was four for 107. I imagine the Knicks would want to keep it something in that range. Could you imagine, by the way, if just because of the way NBA economics work, that Emmanuel quickly is making more than Jalen Brunson next season? Uh, but it's I mean, that's just the nature of it, though, right? I mean, that's that's you know, with the revenue streams continuing to open up the way they are, uh, none of this stuff is going to make sense. Um, you know, to stick with Slater's comp, you know, the Tyler Hero effect, if you remember, Slater was was kind of the thing the Warriors were looking at with Jordan's deal. Tyler got his deal. Um, oh, that was quite a week. I remember talking to Warriors people in Japan early in preseason, and it was like, do you think Hero is going to get done? That might... You know, that might complicate the Jordan conversations if, if Hero gets done. Hero does get done, they get back, punch happens, and it was just like this swirling event that obviously led to an extension that was probably a little pricier than it would have been if there was no Hero extension, no punch. But Yeah, I mean, that's the other part of it. Like, you mentioned the Jordan Poole contract. When I, when I did that poll earlier this summer of just, like, execs, I brought up the Jordan Poole contract. I brought up the Tyler Hero contract, and those were in the realm of thirty million a year. The Simon's the one, I remember, was a was a talking point back then. Mm-hmm. Too. Simon's one was a talking point. That was a hundred million mm-hmm. over four years, and I brought up those contracts specifically, Hero and and even Poole because that's kind of the role quickly played. He's a different sort of player. He's more defensive minded, but he's a he's a a, a good scoring guard. Who finished sex who's second in six man of the year voting? Like that is that's a comparable sort of situation. If I'm his agent, I'm looking at those contracts and saying, give me that. That's 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 what that's what the market says he's worth. And when I asked people around the league about that, their reaction was, Yeah, but people don't really want those contracts now. Now that pool contract is one you have to flip for, you know, an aging, expensive Chris Paul, or the hero one is one that's not going to get you Damian Lillard. Like people don't want those contracts now. So I always find when there's like a market setting deal and then one side tries to use that as a market setter and the other side says, well, no, it's aged poorly enough and there's been enough time that it's no longer a market setter. I find those sorts of divides really interesting. I I think there's a decent chance this gets done because I do think internally the Knicks believe that whenever that MVP caliber star for them to trade for comes up, I think they believe it's it's more likely that that happens next summer or later than that it happens before this year's trade deadline, which kind of makes the points about quickly being difficult to trade this season less uh, you know vital to the argument. And I, I would say it's more likely than not that it gets done, but but you just don't know at this point. I, I think it's the most interesting rookie extension possibility that's left on the on the table right now. No, that's good stuff. Uh, Fred, is there more in the Indie Rock notebook or uh, are we jumping into uh, Warriors? We got another in the Indie Rock notebook. All right. We got one more. Empty it, baby. Can we talk about the Utah Jazz's 2024 summer? (laughs) Wow. That's why I love you so much. This is like the this is when they Uh, they start to play the song at the concert and even the hardcores like Sam Amick are like, I'm not sure I've heard this one. This is where they uh this is where there's a record scratch at the concert. You better sell is this. Is this one of their new ones that they're really trying to get us to like that yeah, this the when it's the new album and nobody knows it, and then they just decide that it's a good time for a bathroom break. All right, Fred, we can't lose the people. You gotta sell this. Like 
Utah Michael Jazz is the people. Let's the Jazz go. are Jazz are interesting. They own every pick known to mankind. Yeah, they're gonna have. They have tons of free agents next year, tons of cap room, and I'm not suggesting they're gonna go out and sign a max guy. But how they choose to operate next year, and at this trade deadline too. Yeah, I was gonna say even before. I mean, they were because aggressive on Drew Holiday. They were, they're in this like now totally. Yeah. And so I am wondering that that's kind of what I was going to bring up, Sam, where it's like they, they make calls on Drew Holiday, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they make calls on Drew Holiday that that's showing. They're showing their hand a little bit in terms of their plan being like, no, we think we're ready to be good. We think we can be good. And at the very least, we don't think we need to be bad. They own so many unprotected picks from other teams, from Cleveland and from Minnesota and from others. Like they own so many unprotected picks. I mean, picks Danny Ainge is not a young man. He ain't sitting around trying to, you know, let this thing take too long. No, he's not. And they don't need to go out and stink because somebody else will stink for him and they'll they'll get that draft pick. They have enough talent on the roster to where they're going to be competitive, as we saw last year. Walker Kessler is only getting better. And I am so curious to see how the Jazz deal with themselves, number one, heading up to the trade deadline, and number two, next summer. They're not going to go out and sign some massive name free agent with their cap space. But what they could do is say, oh, this, this huge name who has three years left on his deal is available, and we have a ton of picks, and we don't have to give up like any salary in order to get him. So that team can just get no bad contracts and a ton of picks, and that's what they want. Yeah, let's enter the sweepstakes. Uh, and the fact that we saw them kind of peek their head in on Drew Holiday gives you a little – it just makes me wonder, like, what what's the plan? What are they going to do if they peaked on Drew Holiday? Like, who are they going to, like, make the full-on call for? Who are they going to make the rush for? How are they going to use that room? Are they just going to take in bad contracts and accumulate more picks? Like – they, they, they have a chance to go a million different directions, probably more than any other team in the league. And, and they have a super aggressive GM. Real quick, before I get it to you, Slater, like in terms of their aggressiveness, and I hadn't thought of this in a while, you know, if you go back to like Kyrie Irving's absolute low point in terms of his PR um, and what was going on with him, right? You know, I wrote or tweeted or reported at the time that like the, the you know, the Jazz had not crossed him off their list like that. I thought was so interesting in terms of their level of, you know, of aggressiveness and, and just kind of like, you know, just that idea that we're, we're going to escalate this timeline and speed it up. Um, the idea back then last season, mid season, when so many teams were not willing to even touch Kyrie that the jazz looked that direction and said, ah, we, we would talk about it um, was telling uh, of Danny's mindset. And we know the way he operated in Boston, and obviously now out there in Utah with Justin Zanuck, um, yeah, I think for sure, you know, they are they are looking for big fish to uh, to come their way. Two biggest. I mean, on top of it, was... Sam, on on top of it, next summer there are going to be teams, and and this trade deadline too, dying to get out of the 2024 tax for various reasons because they're yeah. over the second apron and it restricts their resources, or because they have an owner who doesn't want to pay all of that extra money for a team that's proven to not be good enough or whatever. And what did the jazz do this summer? Right. They looked at a team that was trying to get out from under the tax and they said, yeah, Atlanta Hawks, just give us John Collins for mm -hmm. nothing. Right. We'll just take John Collins. And they just got John Collins for free. 
and Collins had a bad year last year. He had the worst year of his career in Atlanta last year. But nobody expected Collins to just, after all these years of being on the block, just to go for free for Rudy Gay, who they waived in a second round pick. And right. that would be it. Especially by the context for the 14th roster spot in Golden State right now. Um, did you see the John? I saw some John Collins like little soundbite where he it was clearly like he wasn't he didn't mention the Hawks or mention Trey Young, but it was like it is just so nice to be playing with a team that wants to share the basketball. Oh, it's like, you know, so comforting. I feel, you know, it was like a finally, you know, we, we, right. we share it. We and that's win. the stuff where, I mean, I think the league still believes that John Collins is John Collins and fully understands that the Hawks context last year from trade to the front office transition to all the other stuff that was happening. Quinn Snyder coming in mid season that, you know, that is largely what led to John having a down year. Uh, I mean, that was a hell of a trade for the Jazz. Yeah, and to me, the two biggest things that have sped up this process for the Jazz was the fact that in the trades, they got two assets that at the time of the trade, I'm talking about the Donovan Mitchell trade and the Rudy Gobert trade, weren't considered like sparkling assets. Lori Markkinen, who now, you know, is, looks like an all-NBA type, you know, third-team type of guy. And then Walker Kessler, what pick was he? Like 18, 19, 17, something like that. Yeah, um, You know, you would have said... It was like when we talked about the Minnesota package, it was like all the unprotected picks. And certainly when we talked about the Cleveland package, it wasn't like, wow, they got marketing. That marketing just felt like salary filler. Well, that's their core moving forward, right? It's like it's marketing and Walker Kessler. Like you hit on those, you speed up your process. Good stuff. All right. Before we get out of here, let's have a robust Warriors segment. Um, we got the timely stuff. Chris Paul makes his debut against the Lakers on Sunday. Uh, preseason obviously always tough to unpack, but he has six points, five assists, four rebounds, plus six mark in 13 minutes, two of four from the field. The Warriors beat the Lakers 125-108. Chris Paul, part two, is on Friday. uh, Warriors-Lakers next preseason game. We're going to get into that. Yeah, in L.A. Um, Before we get to your Clay Thompson stuff, Slater, because I know you had a good conversation with him recently um, this is months and months of anticipation to not only see Chris in a Warriors jersey, but to see the actual X's and O's and see these guys on the court trying to make it work. Draymond Green's ankle injury obviously answers the starting lineup question, and they go small with with Chris sharing that backcourt with Steph. But uh, how did it look? Yes, it's funny you mentioned months and months of anticipation. I think the the biggest thing we've learned over the last ten days is that it's been months and months of work too. Chris Paul like heard of the trade absorbed it you know made sure from the warriors like hey like like i'm here you know that's they didn't even get in on the drew holiday talk it was like no like chris like chris paul has been here for two months he's been around the facility a ton uh and he played a bunch of pickup all summer with steph curry clay thompson's been in some pickup games a bunch of the young guys like they've glowed behind the scenes about the way he's like handled just like just professionally handled himself, but also like Jonathan Kaminga, who was great in the preseason opener. And there were a lot of people hitting behind the scenes. Like they think a third year leap is coming. They'll also say Chris Paul's done a lot to help that bring that along. They've paired him all summer in scrimmages, Paul and Kaminga, you know, on teams together. And um, the, the curtains were kind of finally open to the media this last week. And after the first practice, you know, I went in and, and, you know, Chris Paul is just so diligent about, his approach and it's like after the first day of practice he's out there for an hour with Steph Curry after practice going through split cut action and 
you know, different, you know, hitting hand back game handoffs and just stuff that Chris Paul didn't necessarily normally do at other points of his career, but he knows it's like, it's a Steph Curry warriors system type thing. Just, you know, he's just working out there for an hour and like, not even just like as like a you know listening to Steph, he's you could tell he's making points about how he likes it. He's trying to learn different stuff. He's trying to add nuances, and um, you could just tell from the Warrior side of things, they just they really are just loving the personality, the uh, presence that has been dropped in their franchise. They've they they wanted it. They've craved a Chris Paul presence. Where you know, I mean, we know the Chris Paul arc is usually like you know year one year two he always bumps his team's win totals up they love the series approach and then it kind of gnaws on a franchise over a couple years and 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 you know oftentimes at least lately it's led to split ups but right now it's honeymoon phase we'll see how he plays how healthy he stays but it's looked really good and 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 all the signs behind the scenes are very good about it uh he they had some nice yeah go ahead sam no i was jumping in front of fred admittedly um it's funny. Not I was to go just gonna say it's Slater's Slater's dropping bars. It's 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 honey it's honeymoon phase. We'll see how he plays, how healthy he stays. My goodness! <laughs> wow, I didn't even. Thank you. Or is this the end of days? Uh, Slater with the bars. I like it. Um, to go full circle, to hear you talk about Chris Paul and the fact that the Warriors did not get in on Drew Holiday. I would actually love to talk to Chris about and any Chris being Chris, he probably wouldn't really, really tell you, but to know how he feels and thinks about that choice. Cause I, I would guess that it actually did mean a lot to him at this stage in his career. You know, he's a great, he's a future hall of famer point. God, one of the best to ever do it. You know, he's had this like tough multi-year run of getting cast aside. You know what I mean? Um, in Houston. And here's the part where it's full circle talking about the Harden situation in Philly, you know, we always kind of forget Chris Paul was sideways with James when he left Houston too. That, that was uncomfortable. Um, and part of that was that idea that the team you were with started trying to get the next guy. It was Russell Westbrook over Chris in Houston. Um, you know, and, and he's been through that before. If they did go after drew and Chris heard about it, the warriors, that is, I could absolutely see that being the kind of thing that, you know, that, that kind of, poisons this dynamic early on and the warriors i think were wise to not do that um because he you know it sounds corny but like the dude wants to be appreciated and actually you know embraced at, at this stage of his career because that resume is incredible and we kind of forget that part yeah they're um and they're doing it publicly and also privately and it's it's interesting to see him in that warriors locker room because you know you drop a lot of guys in there and um I wouldn't say like overwhelmed by like just like the personalities in the locker room, but you they just don't emerge into like big figures. And you can already just tell like Chris Paul is not just a leader, but a voice like immediately in the Warriors locker room. And I didn't know that that was going to be the case, but it's pretty obvious it is, Um, you know, post game. They had some doubt. There were some Dallas Cowboys people that were uh, in the postgame because it was Saturday night. Obviously, the Cowboys playing in San Francisco on Sunday. And Chris Paul is a Cowboys fan. So, you know, he's kind of holding court with some Cowboys people, but he was going around the room and, like, you know, slapping everybody, like, you know, telling them, like, you know, enjoy your off day Sunday. There's a young uh, point guard that's, like, kind of a, a camp invitee who had his his kid was there and his kid wanted to take a picture with Chris Paul. And just, just the way, like, just the way Chris Paul is operating, it's it's – you know, you have a camp invitee who's like, you know, can you can you take a picture of my kid? And he's just screaming across the room, like, come on, like, you know, like bring him over here and all that. I don't know. It just it just 
I'm just like, wow, like I didn't know how it was going to be early. And it's like, you know, yeah, that's a little I don't different owns from... the room because he doesn't. But sure. he's a big figure in the room. That's a little different from Vegas Summer League, you know, when he got asked the question about starting and and, and kind of fired back that, you know, you you the coach, you know, when you see him prickly and, and you thought that might be the way it was going to go. All right, let's get into uh, Clay Thompson. Uh, what is this discussion that you had with Mr. Clay, the, you know, the, the Warriors resident defender of, of all big men down low? Uh, how's Clay yeah. doing? Yeah, he's scoff, scoffing at that, scoffing. At, he, he even said, I don't get in those Twitter arguments. I mean X, right? It's called X now. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, he, first of all, it's a contract season for Clay Thompson, right? I mean, theoretically you mentioned like who Utah might go after, you know, uh, if he does hit free agency, he'd be, you know, he's a Fred Van Vliet, Brooke Lopez type of like veteran name that I could see a, a team wanting to go after, but it's very clear right now from the warrior side, you know, really with the pool for Paul trade was part of that was prioritizing clay over pool, uh, long-term and from Clay's side, and you know, he makes it he made it clear, and my story will be up this week at some point. He was pretty candid about it, but um, he's not searching for like max or nothing, you know, pay me my absolute most value if you want me to stay around. Uh, you know, I think he'll probably come at, back at a reasonable number, maybe even an extension before he gets in a free agency. Um, you know, and a number like the Andrew Wiggins got, which is I don't think it's like 24, 25 million this year. Draymond Green came back at a little bit lower number. So, you know, it was a conversation about that, but also um, kind of this this moment of his career coming off. He had a he had a very strange year last season where he came in out of condition because he didn't. I don't know if you guys remember, he didn't scrimmage at all after the title. Right. And he said it was because of mental block. He just, uh, he had tore his Achilles in a scrimmage and he just didn't want to play like unsupervised scrimmages and. Because of that, he just wasn't ready for the start of the season and shot really poorly uh, over the course of the first month, month and a half. It culminated, you guys will probably remember, in Phoenix when they're getting killed, Devin Booker's killing him, and he's he gets ejected. First ejection of his career because it's like four rings. You remember him talking to, mm -hmm. to Phoenix? Um, but eventually he plays his way into shape, and he'll make the argument uh, that his season last year was underrated. He led the NBA and made threes last year, and... 301 threes i believe he made 41 percent. he's like you know that's that's pretty valuable right you know you lead the nba in threes and you hit 41 percent of them january and february were the two best scoring months of his career and then he had a bad playoffs he had a horrible laker series he was he's really pissed off about how that went he was really fired up you can remember sam for that series right hometown team he never played the lakers in the playoffs and uh, shot poorly the whole series, but I think it was three of 20 in the game six in Staples Center to end their season. And he just entered the offseason with a lot different mindset. He scrimmaged all summer. Uh, you know, he mentions all the various places he went and scrimmaged. He played with Kevin Love for the first time. He said, I think he said like 20 years because remember, he grew up in Portland mm -hmm. uh, with Kevin right. Love. Uh, but he's in like really good shape. All the coaches are mentioning this. Uh, and and he just thinks he's 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 ready for for a big season, and he's pretty open about how pissed off he was about how last season ended. So I'm curious where it goes, especially because of the fact you know I mentioned contract season and and where this franchise goes from here. Since Fred yeah. uh, all of last season gave me a hard time for talking about the Lakers too much, um, this season's version of that, I'm going to flip it, Fred. I'm going to go out of my way to make sure we 
mention the defending champion Denver Nuggets at least once a pod because we you talk about storylines that we ignore. The Nuggets are that. So Slater, uh, to hear you talk about Clay makes me think about Jamal Murray. And it'll be, I think, in terms of players to highlight and to watch this season. Jamal had an incredible playoff run. They win the whole damn thing. But, you know, another year removed from his massive injury. Uh, same as Clay. Uh, it'll be fun. And I know age-wise, two very different places. Uh, but it'll be fun to see, you know, if those guys can do their thing, be even stronger, even better, you know, the the farther away they get. And, from, from... you know, it's a different money question, but if Jamal Murray makes all NBA, right, he vaults into a different tier. Oh, yeah. And I, and I guess quickly on that, I mean, I was at Nuggets Media Day, got a sense, actually, you know, since we're plugging interviews that are coming, I talked to Nuggets GM Calvin Booth. That'll be up later in the week. And we hit on the Jamal Murray extension stuff. And he made it clear. I said, is this just a matter of him, you know, maximizing his earnings or is there any part of you concerned about where his head is at pushing his extension to next summer? And he says, no, it's just, it's the money. And and if Jamal, uh, you know, basically said, I, Jamal to me is going to go out and do exactly what he says, which is be all NBA. And that means he's going to be a super max guy. Uh, and they would love to, to pay him that contract. So, um, yeah, a lot on the line for both guys. I smell a Jamal Murray MIP campaign coming up. Feel, I feel sure. like I feel the like war that doesn't exist, but yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I feel like he's 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 the guy. Like you're right, two years removed from the ACL. Slater mentioned last last pod that a lot of times it's that second year removed from the injury that you really. We really get it back. We saw what he did in the playoffs last year. He's going to have to create a little bit more because of their off season. You know, they lost Bruce Brown and, and, and he's going to have to do some more with the ball offensively. And he can obviously shoulder that we've seen what he's done on the biggest stages. And if he comes out and he averages 26 a game, and instead of taking six and a half threes a game, he's taking 10 threes a game and he's hitting 40% of them and him and, and Jokic are just, you know, and even, even greater level of what they already are in the two man game. Like that's an MIP campaign right there. Do you think he would scoff at the idea of most improved though? Do you think he'd be like, look, I I have the bubble year. Obviously I mean, he I might, had the injury. So I eased back off is, that, but look what I did in the playoffs. How improved am I really? I'm just what I've been is what yeah, he he's got say. that. Edge. I mean, this I mean, is, this is would. why, this is why most improved is, is a dumb award. Cause it's, it's the only award that you can make the argument for not by arguing which guy you think is better this year, but which guy you thought was worse the year before. Right. Like, like if a Jamal Murray MIP vote is going to be contingent on not how good he is this year, but how, how, how good we thought he was the year before. It's like, whatever. Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, he was incredible in the playoffs and if he does what he did in the playoffs for a full season, then we can have an argument over how improved that is. I mean, what I would say is that being able to do what he did in the playoffs over a six month stretch, being able to sustain that greatness is improvement. Like there's, there are guys who are capable of reaching that level for certain stints. And then there are guys who just do it every single night. I think we would agree that Jamal Murray has the talent and and the ability to be able to do it every night. And we're just kind of kind of waiting for it. And he had the injury, which set him back and he probably would have gotten there already. Uh, so yeah, I mean, look, we've had crazier MIPs than if Jamal Murray averages 26 on great efficiency and wins. MIP. It would be a very, very nuanced discussion that would probably piss him off just because that's he's, you know, he's that kind of athlete and competitor. Um, but, but I do think, you know, the nuggets are challenging him to, 
to just go out and, and Michael Malone was really candid on media day. Like Michael always is like essentially saying like, you know, go be that guy from the beginning of the season. Don't wait until January. And that is where Jamal has paid a price in the past. You know, last year, I remember talking to him when he, after he found out that he wasn't on the all-star team and his feedback or his takeaway was, is, was interesting because it was okay. On the one hand, I understand why I'm not on the all-star team because I just know I didn't play very well the first couple of months, but then he was very quick to also, and I'm paraphrasing, but he had a line that was like, then I look at the list of who's on the team and I know I'm better than a lot of those guys. You know, that's how he thinks. And the nuggets would love nothing more than to him to do it for him to do it from the jump. They have always been frustrated is too strong, but like a little puzzled and at times, you know, kind of, you know, disappointed at how he, he, he waits and he waits for, you know, almost for the whole world to start piling up on him because he's not playing all that well. And then eventually the light goes on and, and he's Jamal Murray again. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if he can take that jump to another elite level. Cause what he did in, in that, you know, entire title run was a huge sample size of incredible basketball. I will say, I, if I, I mean, I understand the nuggets, like, you know, trying to like, Hey, you don't have a huge regular season, but also like, Ain't a bad thing if a guy just raises his game in the playoffs, right? 16 like game players. Jimmy, Jimmy Butler approach. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a lot better than the other way around, and there's no plenty question. of those guys in the league that can yeah. be awesome in the regular season. Well, but Slater, yeah. you've lived this through the Warriors. They are now in that stage where they're trying to find new ways to be motivated. You won the title. You know, one of Calvin Booth's press conference comments was similar, where he talked about how no – uh, and this might have been in our conversation that that no team that you know repeats uh, you know like does so without having like a dominant stretch of like you know 10 15 wins in a row like they want to see you know the dominance in the regular season and, and it'll be interesting to see them juggle that with the just the, the taxing load management and all that stuff but like they are trying to find something to get fired up about in the regular season and not just wait until april yeah all right, gents, we uh, we made the rounds this week. That was really good stuff. Uh, Fred, thank you for carrying the the indie rock portion. I'll come to your concert anytime, buddy. Uh, Slater, appreciate you. Look forward to that Clay Thompson interview. Uh, we will be back next week. Appreciate everybody. Have a good one. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.